Well, good morning, family. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. We're beginning this morning a new series uh, just for the month of April. In the Bible, there are 11 recorded appearances of Jesus after His resurrection. I think perhaps that He made other appearances, but there are just 11 recorded in the Scripture. Of those 11, there are five on that first Easter Sunday. Then there's one the very next week. Then there are four that don't have a time associated with them. And lastly, 40 days after the resurrection, there's an appearance of Christ as He meets with the disciples and He ascends into heaven from the Mount of Olives. We're going to today and over the next few weeks just look at a few of those resurrection appearances and see some marvelous things there, I trust, in these lessons. Join me as we pray. Father, we're so thankful to be here this morning, so thankful that You sent Jesus to be our Savior Not only did He die for our sins, but as we remember every Sunday, and especially on this day, that He rose again. And so there is a guarantee that we have life, eternal life, with You forever and ever. Guide us as we look into Your Word this morning. Meet with us here and instruct us through Your Word and through Your Holy Spirit enlightening it to our hearts. May we not be just listeners, but those who take it to heart and put it into practice. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We have a most remarkable story before us this morning here in Luke 24. It was Sunday, Resurrection Day, though the featured guest stars in this story don't know it yet. I say guest stars because they're not the usual ones who show up here in the Gospels. It says here that they are two disciples. And when we think of disciples, we usually think of the twelve, but these aren't. There was a large group of, of those who were believers in Jesus, who followed Him as much as they could, and they were devoted to Him, but they were not part of that small band of twelve whom Jesus called out and chose to be with Him 24-7 during His time of ministry. These two were part of that larger group. We pick it up in chapter 24 of Luke, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him, and He said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. They're on their way to Emmaus, a little village, as it says, about seven miles from Jerusalem, an obscure place then, and totally obscure now. Nobody even knows where it is. We just know it's roughly seven miles. 
north, northwest from Jerusalem. They're on their way apparently back home. Emmaus apparently is where they lived. The past couple of days have been devastating to them as they've their whole world has been shaken, turned upside down. They've been followers of Jesus. They had pinned all of their hopes and all of their dreams on Him and now He's gone. Perhaps you've been in a situation like that before. Maybe you're in that position now as you're here this morning. You have greatly invested yourself all your time, your energies, your resources, your hopes, your dreams into something. Maybe it was a campaign for an office. Maybe it was a business venture. Maybe it was a relationship, a marriage. Maybe it's a sports team. You poured yourself into it with the expectation that this was certainly going to succeed and bring with it all kinds of wonderful joys and blessings and great things. You're just sure this is going to just turn out wonderfully and then it crumbles around you. You stand there in the pieces. You find yourself stunned, shell-shocked, broken, defeated, demoralized unsure of what really to do next. If you've ever been there, you've had a taste of where these two followers of Jesus are. So, apparently they have thrown in the proverbial towel. They've packed it up and they've, they're heading home. As they walk along in their grief, all they can talk about and think about is Jesus. They've, I'm sure that they are reflecting on the miracles they saw Him perform. The things that they heard Him teach. They're thinking about their hopes and dreams of the kingdom. They're talking about the betrayal. The awful beatings and the scourging that Jesus endured. The horrific death on the cross. Even perhaps talking about Jesus' remarkable calm and His grace and kindness in the midst of it all. But still, He's dead. Their dreams are gone. And as they're walking and talking and commiserating with one another, a stranger comes up behind them. Most people in those days, they walked pretty much everywhere they went. And so it was not uncommon for as you're walking along and someone's walking along in the same direction that you meet up and start walking together and begin talking. So it wasn't really odd that this stranger shows up and starts conversing with them. What's odd, of course, is that this stranger is really not a stranger. It's Jesus. But somehow, as our text tells us here, that He disguised Himself. He prevented them from recognizing who He was. It doesn't tell us what He did, but I don't think it was something like, you know, a little fake mustache. 
That really doesn't fool anybody, for at least for very long. But Jesus, as He's talking, He's been listening and says, so what's all this that you're talking about? And I love their response. They just stop. And they can just stare in stunned silence in their grief. And it says they just looked sad. They didn't even know what to say. Then, verse 18, one of them, the only one of the two whose name, named Cleopas, answered him and said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that are, have happened here in these days? They are truly incredulous. Really? How out of touch can you be? Did you just come from Jerusalem? <laughs> How could you have been in Jerusalem and not know what has been going on there? If they had newspapers, they would have said it had been all over the headlines. It was all over their social media. They just didn't carry their social media in their pocket. <laughs> but it's all everybody's been talking about. It would be as strange as not knowing who the president of the country is. Or even weirder than that, living in St. Louis if the Cardinals are playing in the World Series and you don't know it. Weird. Strange. But Jesus, of course, knows what's happened. He's just playing along and trying to get draw them out. No, what things, he says, verse 19. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women, the women of our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find His body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it to be just as the women said, but Him they did not see. Really, if you don't know what's going on, let me just tell you in a few words. It's all about Jesus. This man was awesome. He was an amazing prophet, a great prophet, mighty in words, mighty in deeds. He did miracles. He was approved by God. He was loved by all the people. And then our Jewish leaders had him condemned, had him killed. But we had high hopes for this man. We really thought He was going to be the one who would deliver, who would rescue Israel from the Romans. Now it's been three days since all of this. Let me tell you, some strange things have been happening. Our women found the tomb empty and some of the men went and found the tomb and verified that it really was empty. And women had stories about seeing angels who said, Jesus is alive. I want to look back earlier in the chapter, earlier in the service. Um, Brother Tom read the first 
part of chapter 24. Let me take us back and look at just some of the words that the angel said to the women. Go back to verse 5. The men, that's the angel, said to them, the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. The women came back and told the disciples what the angels said and the rest. That would include these two guys. Okay. Which they conveniently left out of the story. Not only have strange things been happening, not only did the women go and find the tomb empty, the women saw the angel and the angel said... Don't you remember what Jesus said? I have to be crucified, but on the third day I will rise. They left that out. It's bad enough that Jesus' followers either totally forgot that Jesus said that He would be crucified and rise, or worse, that they just never paid any attention to it in the first place. But now, after Jesus' body has undeniably vanished, and after the women come back with reports, we saw an angel! And they said Jesus is alive. And they said, don't forget that Jesus said I would rise again on the third day. Would that make you guys just a little curious? You know what? Jesus did say that. And these guys say, did you notice they said, it's the third day. And the day's not over. But they're going home. You see, the concept of a resurrection is so far-fetched, none of them even really consider it's going to happen. The day's not over and these guys have already thrown in the towel and they're going home. It's easy for us to throw rocks at them. But I have a good feeling if you and I were there, we just might fall into the same way of thinking. Jesus doesn't handle this the way we think He might. This is the perfect time for the big reveal Peel off the mustache. <laughs> Take off the coat. Reveal the, here I am, you know. Hey guys, it's me! It's Jesus! And you whoa! Throw a party and that's not what he does. Look at what he says. Look verse 25. And he said to them, Oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? See, Jesus exposes their problem. Dr. Jesus does a little checkup on them here and says, you know, your problem is not 
that your Messiah was crucified and your dreams were dashed. Your problem is that you've been slow of heart to believe everything the Scripture says. You do believe the Scriptures that they're the Word of God, but you have you've grabbed on to the stuff that you like, and the stuff you don't like, you've just skipped over and ignored and you know, relegate, relegated to the that's not any big deal. They were good about clinging to the parts of the, of the Scriptures which talked about the Messiah as the King, the Messiah as the Deliverer, the Messiah who ushers in the, the age of glory. They love that. But they have totally missed the parts, skipped over the parts of the Messiah who will suffer, the Messiah who will die. So Jesus says, here's your problem the remedy of that is you need to go back and look again at the Word of God. And so Jesus leads them in a Bible study. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. I would have loved to be there to listen in on this. You know, if I could go back in time and see any one thing I'm not sure which one, but this one would be in my top four or five. I don't know if you've ever done this, but so many movies that are out today on CD and Blu-ray, they have a, so many of them have a little feature, the director's commentary. And you watch the movie and then little notes will pop up or little, He'll be talking in the background. He'll tell you some backstory about the, the storyline or about the character or about how certain things were done and it gives you a whole new perspective on, on the movie. That's what Jesus does here. Except it's not a movie, it's the Word of God. The author takes them back through the book and says, let me show you some things. Let me show you the parts you skipped over. Let me show you the things you didn't see. And let me show you, there's one here. I don't think anybody's got it yet, but I'm going to tell you. It's fascinating to me that Luke tells us this is what Jesus did, but he doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus said. I want to see the, I want to see the synopsis of, well, he went here and he went here and he went here and he said this and pointed this out. I want to see that. And God, is he gives us this through Luke, He doesn't lay that out for us. You know why? I think it's because He's challenging us to get out the book and dig for ourselves. It's letting us know that there is gold in them bar hills. (laughs) There is treasure there. All you need to do is get your pickaxe, your metal detector, and your, your boots on and go in, dig in. What you're going to find is some marvelous stuff. I'm sure Jesus began in Genesis and just started working His way through. So many things. He probably started there in Genesis chapter 3 right after Adam and Eve sinned. He pointed out that He is the seed of the woman who had crushed the serpent's head. But He's also, as it goes on, He's the sacrifice that covered the 
the nakedness and shame of the sin of Adam and Eve. All the way through the book of Genesis from sacrifice to sacrifice, how he's pictured till you get to, to Genesis chapter 22 where, where you get to the sacrifice of Abraham's son Isaac who is such a clear picture of the son who will not be spared. All the way through, you go to Exodus, as Pastor Aaron was pointing out earlier, at communion time where you come to the Passover and Jesus is the Passover Lamb. He's pictured there. He's pictured as the offerings in the book of Leviticus. By the way, every single book of the Bible either explicitly or implicitly talks about Jesus. And if you've read the Bible and not looked for Jesus in in the Scriptures, you're missing the point. I'm sure he spent a lot of time in Psalms. Psalm 22, the first words, the opening words in verse 1 of Psalm 22 are these, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? The words Jesus quoted from the cross. You go on, that whole psalm is about Christ. And you get down just a little farther and you read these words, which are like written like they are an eyewitness of the events of the cross that day. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. A thousand years before Christ, but it's describing the picture of the cross. So many of the Psalms and the rabbis knew that the Psalms, many of them were, were talking about Jesus last week. We mentioned briefly one of them at the close of the choir program, Psalm 118, where it says there that the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus quoted that to the leaders of the day, that he pointing out He was the stone that was going to be rejected, going to become the cornerstone. That whole psalm we noted last week is where the the crowd got the phrases for when they, when they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he, is he who comes in the name of the Lord, comes right out of Psalm 118. We could go on. So many other psalms it could have gone to. I'm sure he went to Daniel chapter 9. We studied Daniel chapter 9 a couple of weeks ago where God gave Daniel the vision of the 77s. He says, 77s have been decreed for your people after the 69 sevens. That's 483 years, he says, from the issuing of the decree to go and to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. He says, from that decree till Messiah the Prince will be these 483 years. Jesus shows up right on schedule. And then God goes on to say, after that, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. Five days after Jesus came into Jerusalem, welcomed by the crowds, honored as the Messiah. What we celebrated last week is Palm Sunday. Five days later, He's hanging on the cross. And He's killed. See, Jesus is saying, have you been ignorant? Have you not been paying attention to the Scripture that the Messiah must die? It's all there. I'm sure he took them to Zechariah chapter 12, which speaks of the Messiah coming in rescue of His people. And it says, when they look on Me, on Him whom they have pierced, 
they shall mourn for Him. I'm sure He reminded them of Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, where it says, See My servant. And all the rabbis knew it was speaking of Messiah. But the next verse goes on to say, Verse 14, it says, Just as there were many who were appalled at Him, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and His form oh, his, his form marred beyond any human likeness. Describing the beatings and the, 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 how Jesus would be disfigured from the cruelty of men. Isaiah keeps going in that chapter, speaking of Messiah, into the next chapter, Isaiah 53. The entire Isaiah 53, you can't read it and not see Jesus in His suffering and crucifixion there. Just a couple of words from Isaiah 53. It says, For He was cut off from the land of the living. From, for the transgression of My people He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It tells us there, not only was Jesus, was, was Jesus crucified for our sin, but not only was He innocent, but did you notice it says He was assigned a grave with the wicked. Jesus was crucified with common criminals. Normally, such a man would be thrown out into the town dump, the body would be. But it says He was with the rich in His death. It was Joseph of Arimathea who went and claimed the body of Jesus to go put in a brand new tomb that he had, had carved out of the rock for himself. He was in the place of a rich man. He was all there. And we're just scratching the surface. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there having Jesus as your guide going through the Scriptures saying, I'm here. It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. For hours as they walk along. It's right here. It's right here. These guys thought so too. We don't want this to end. As they got near to the village where they were going, look at verse 28. He acted as if he were going to go farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us! For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed them and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> oh my goodness. For that moment, there's that recognition just as he broke the bread. It's Jesus! And then he's gone. What do you do now? Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven, those who were gathered with them as well, gathered together. And they said, the Lord has risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. Jesus must have told him that just before he left. Then they told him what had happened on the road how He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Four quick lessons, takeaways as I just wrap it up this morning. The first is this. Jesus is alive. 
one more evidence for the resurrection that is here is His death was no accident. His resurrection is certain and His return is guaranteed because this was God's plan from the beginning. All you have to do is go back and look and see it was all there. It wasn't something they made up in the first century. After Jesus was dead, how are we going to explain this? Let's make up a story. He rose from the dead. No. It was all there from the beginning. The Messiah had to die. Jesus' suffering was inseparably connected with His glory. The two go together. Second big lesson is this. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with little faith, you have doubts, the answer to that is not, you know, I would have no trouble believing if God would just do some big miracle. I believe. You know, Billy Graham would rise from the dead Come and just ring my doorbell. And I open the door and he says, Hey, I'm Billy Graham. Won't you know I came back from the dead to tell you that Jesus is alive. It's all true. You better believe in Him. I'd, I'd never doubt again. You ever think something like that? Jesus' answer here, it's easy to think that, but Jesus' answer here is not so much. Jesus told a story back in Luke chapter 16 about a rich man and a poor man. A poor man named Lazarus. Both of these guys died. The, the rich guy ends up in Hades. He's sitting there in, in torment. And you remember what he, he requests. He says, the, the poor man, Lazarus, is in, is in heaven. And he says, would you send him back? I know I can't leave here. I'm stuck here. But would you send him back to my brothers and warn them so they don't end up here with me? You remember what Jesus' answer is? Jesus says, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they listen to one who rises from the dead and comes and warns them. See, the answer to faith is not that we need to see a miracle. It's that we need to look deeply and we need to look honestly into the Word of God. If you're struggling with faith, that's my encouragement to you. Dig deeply and dig honestly in the Word of God. Because He'll show you. It's true. I think that's really why Jesus didn't immediately let these disciples know who, it, who He was. I think that's why He put on the disguise. And He goes in and He says, yeah, let me take you back to the Scripture. He did it for their benefit. He also did it for ours. It was as they look at the Scriptures, they're, they're going, whoa, the Messiah had to die. And if the Messiah had to die, the Messiah is going to rise. It all makes sense. It all fits together. And God has said it all along. I think He's doing that for our benefit too. So we can understand. We need to dig in the Word. Thirdly, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with despair, if you're struggling with sadness, grief, aimlessness, loss, as hard as it may seem to believe, 
The answer to your situation is not a change of circumstances. I know we all think that if, you know, if this thing were fixed, <laughs> if this thing were made right, if this problem were solved, I'd be a happy, full, complete person. The answer to your situation is not a change in circumstances. It's a change in perspective. The answer to struggling with despair and grief, depression, all of those things, it's found in trusting God. In listening to His Word and applying it, believing it and applying it in your life. One more lesson. Don't miss the grace of God here. I see God reaching out to very ordinary men. They weren't the, the, lime, the guys in the limelight. They weren't all... You know. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't even appear to the disciples yet. He's over here with these no-name guys. With these very discouraged guys. With these guys who have already given up and gone home. And He goes and seeks them out. And I think if He didn't go seek them out, they would have just gone off and disappeared. Jesus goes and seeks them out. May I say this morning, if you're here and you've been running from God, He still seeks people out today. He tries to get our attention not usually this dramatically, <laughs> but He still works through people and circumstances and tries to get our opinion that we might turn to Him and see Him and trust Him. Maybe that's why He's brought you here today to hear this message. To hear that God loves you, loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for your sin. And He rose His Son from the dead. So that if you believe, if you trust in Him, your sins are forgiven. You have a guarantee of eternal life in heaven. One last application. It's just looking at the last thing these guys did. After Jesus is gone, they are so moved. All they can think to do is drop everything and run back to Jerusalem to let the other guys know Jesus is alive. See, the most natural response to an encounter with the living Christ is to tell other people there's a risen Savior and you need to trust Him. If you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray you don't let this day or this week go by without telling somebody about Jesus. Because there's a whole big world out there of folks who need to hear. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for this passage. Powerful, powerful stuff. And it speaks to us, probably most of us, it touches us on a bunch of levels. Some of us here are that discouraged and that demoralized like these guys were. A lot of us are just wayward. A lot of us complacent. We've been busy claiming the parts of Scripture and things that we like and we ignore the stuff we don't like and how we need to come and listen to all that You have to say and 
put it into practice in our lives to trust You with all of our heart. Lord, there may be somebody here that's never come to know Jesus as their Savior. Pray that they understand this morning how much You love them, that You sent Jesus for them. And maybe even in these, these moments that they will say, yes, Lord, I believe in Jesus. I trust Him as my Savior. And Your Word says You'll never turn them away. There may be some folks here this morning who have been running from You. May they hear Your call and come back to Christ. And may all of us be moved this morning to be vocal about the good news of Jesus. For how can we keep silent about the best news ever? As we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.